Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Okay, so we're recording. I'm going to edit this later, of course. So if you make any fumbles or anything, don't feel bad about starting over. Okay. Intro. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Mm-hmm. He is Will Massasak. She is Emily Lefker. And this is the AC's Artist Choice Awards podcast. First question What is an AC Award? Well, the AC Awards for film are Artist Choice Awards that are nominated and voted on by a group of over 1,200 artists and creative types like you. How did this all happen? Well, we spent a lot of time talking about the lack of diversity and interesting choices for the Oscars and thought, why not create an awards program that recognized more interesting and diverse choices? And that inspired us to come up with a group of really interesting and diverse voters, artists. If you've ever spent any time with artists, You know they have their own ideas about the Academy Awards and the mainstream culture in general. For years, I've been involved in numerous discussions on this topic with artists of all disciplines. And these artists, and artists everywhere, are the culture makers, the trendsetters, the creators, the people who have been trained in the arts, and the ones who set the standard of taste with the work they do every day. These folks should get their opinion taken into account somewhere. And this is the place. (laughs) So, uh, award season... Uh, particularly for film, presented a great opportunity, and the 2015 or 2000. Well, the award season presented a great opportunity, and the ACs for 2015 films were born. And to get us started to talk about it, our first guest is uh, a tremendous person. First of all, <laughs> an Academy Award-winning producer uh, for the. Uh, Oh, guys, it's Tammy. I totally blew your introduction. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. Okay. <coughs> Our first guest to help us get started uh, won the Academy Award for the film My Mother Dreams: The Satan's Disciples in New York. Uh, she's also the producer of the 2015 comedy film and AC's nominee, Slow Learners. Uh, and she is Tammy Tilstead, and she's with us. How are you, Tammy? Hi, I'm great. This is so fun. I'm so happy to do this and to get to talk to you. We get to talk about movies. Yeah. (laughs) As a producer, um, you know the challenges of getting uh, a movie made. And uh, one of the challenges that I've discovered in terms of uh, trying to do an awards program and get people to vote on it is everyone has the same complaint. They're so busy working, uh, making, making movies, making art, that they don't have as much time as they would like to see movies. So exactly. Yeah. So you you uh, does making movies make it more difficult for you to see films? Well, it's a combo for me. It's three kids and trying to make movies. 
that that uh, kind of sucks up all my time. But, you know, I was just reviewing all the movies and I was feeling angry with myself for not having, you know, set aside the time to see the films because there are really some incredible films this year. Um, and I kind of knew that, but I don't know. I just, the time got away from me. It's tough. Yeah, well, the, um, you know, like I said, we all have that problem, but I like this awards program like this has been a really good opportunity to at least learn about other people's choices and things that they found interesting. So from that right. standpoint, you know, that was part of our process. We thought, well, we might not get it perfect from the get-go, but we'll have a chance to spotlight and, and give a little attention to some films that not a lot of people saw. Uh, right. So be- before we go through and talk about um, some of the categories uh, for the awards nominees, my, just my first question was going to be for you, you know, what what films maybe do you know about that came out this year that people didn't see? What would be your first thing that comes to mind for a film that people didn't see that they should have seen? I don't know how many people saw 45 years. I didn't see it. But it looks incredible. I mean, the acting looks so subtle and beautiful, and it just looks like an incredible story. I mean, I know Charlotte Rampling was nominated, but I still don't know how many people actually saw it, you know. It's not a huge film when you compare it to something like Mad Max or Revenant, and I just think it looks amazing. And I think that's kind of a problem with the the nominations, not only for the ACs, but for the Oscars and any kind of awards program. It's, you know, that film has to compete. A film that, like, 45 years is on a very few screens in the theaters and got Mm -hmm. very little publicity money dumped into it, competes with something like The Revenant, or, or the big short that gets so much, uh, you know, focus just on promoting the film for awards, let alone mm-hmm. promoting the film for people to go see it. So anyway, yeah. that's a good suggestion. And I wonder, excuse me, about Room. I mean, had Brie Larson not been recognized, I mean, I'm in the business, and I really heard about that film very late, you know, in the process, and um, it's incredible. I mean, it's just incredible. And I'm hoping now that because of Brie Larson's, nomination um and you know i mean it's nominated for best picture too now i just hope that more people will see it it's such a small film you know no sure uh how about you emily do you have a film in mind that people should have seen and probably didn't i keep thinking about lily tomlin and grandma Mm -hmm. and how i'm such a i'm such a big fan of of hers and I, i also i love this kind of intergenerational story you know and um uh, and I wish I had seen it also. I also haven't seen it. It's on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe this actually turned this, this question into what films did you not see that you wish you saw? Right. Maybe we got better answers right. for that. Cause I, I was going to say, talk about a film that I did see, which is Taxi Tehran, originally called Just Taxi. Uh, and it's an Iranian film by an uh, incredibly gifted Iranian filmmaker. Uh, and a film that probably most people in America are not going to see, uh, are not even going to hear about. But you know, uh, it, it's it's still magical filmmaking. It's just not not quite like anything else that you're likely to see uh, in America uh, for filmmaking. And as I mentioned, Jafar Pahani or Panahi, who is the, the director, he's banned from filmmaking in Iran and still continuing to make films and, and send them surreptitiously out of the country. That alone makes his films interesting and worth seeing because you can tell the, you know, that they had to overcome a lot of struggle to be able to just make the film, let alone make mm-hmm. it uh, interesting to watch. So at any rate, that is a film I did see. Um, but at any rate, uh, part of the problem is 
also that there's no time to go to the movie theaters. People don't go to see movies in, on the screens. They might have to wait for it to come out uh, in screening. And a lot of that is just the power of TV and streaming. Right. It and when like and it, it's expensive. And when they're going to go out to the theater, I think it's for a big film. I mean, that's the beauty of going to a film festival. You kind of put yourself in that environment. And I think you have the opportunity to see things that you wouldn't normally seek out in a theater. You know, you, it, they're there. You're there to do that. And, and you expose yourself to filmmakers and, and films that you might not normally see. And it's such a great opportunity. I wish there were more of that in the real world. Yeah, and it's a different kind of experience also. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's exactly what I was thinking about, you know. Um, uh, as I was sitting here watching Tangerine the other day, mm-hmm. I thought about how it would have been such a different experience if I had seen that in the movie theater. You know, is that how how on a television the the characters become part of your everyday life and not you're not in their world, they come into yours. Mm-hmm. So that kind of that kind of experience being in a theater or watching something on television makes makes us look at, at film differently. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how long it is before it all sort of just blends together into one thing, right? That's entertaining for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Tammy, hang on one second. Tom Stern is ruining our uh, recording. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, when the, someone called in on the line, it, it, uh, it disrupted our recording. Anyway, we're okay. All right. Uh, let's see. All right, well, uh, let's move on to uh, talk about the first category of nominees because this is a category I think that um, that you're pretty familiar with, and I, you know, I have a better understanding this year of uh, documentaries. This is for the Outstanding Film Documentary category. Um, you know, in the 80s, we're a little bit more inclusive maybe than the uh, Academy Awards. We have a pretty long list of nominees. I'm going to run through them just real quickly just to give them a little mm-hmm. shout-out. Um, they are Amy, Best of Enemies, The Birth of Saki, Cartel Land, Crocodile Genity, Democrats, Heart of a Dog, The Jinx, Listen to Me, Marlin, The Look of Silence, The Russian Woodpecker, Terror, What Happened, Miss Simone, and The Wolf Pack. So that's a mouthful of, of nominees. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing is, I, I, you know, we felt really strongly that documentary is something that's kind of overlooked. It doesn't get as much attention in the theaters. It doesn't get a whole lot of money. There's almost no money in making them. Uh, so it's really, you know, a lot of passion projects. And it felt like these were really important to not just, you know, nominate because they were great, but to make sure to give them some recognition. So at any rate, uh, I'll throw it to you, Tammy. What, um, what stood out to you this year in terms of the documentaries that you saw? Well, I wish I had seen more. I wish I had seen all of those. Um, I made myself sit down and take the time to watch the ones that were nominated for the Oscars because I really wanted to vote in that category. Um, so of those that I saw, I thought it was interesting to have Amy and What Happened, Miss Simone nominated at the same time. Um, and I'm hoping that they don't kind of cancel each other out. Um, and I had not seen um, The Act of Killing. So The Look of Silence is kind of the follow-up in a way to that. Um, and I was wondering if I should watch that first, and I, and I didn't. I watched The Look of Silence on its own, and it definitely stands on its own and references the first film. Um, of those, I, they're all amazing in their own way. Cartel Land blew my mind for sort of the access that Matthew, I think it's Heinemann, got um, both. So, so, in, so mm-hmm. let me stop here for a second. What is Cartel Land about? Because I'm not that familiar with it. It's about 
the drug wars going on on both sides of the U.S.-Mexican border. And Matthew Heineman somehow was able to get himself embedded with um, cartels in Sinaloa, Mexico. And the access that he gets is just not to be believed. And it's a miracle that he wasn't killed or injured in some way. So he follows the the Sinaloa cartel on the Mexican side of the border. And then he finds um, a, a veteran... Um, who has kind of created his own vigilante group on the Arizona side. And he kind of goes back and forth. And it's it's very eye-opening, and it's also you just kind of can't believe that you, that this guy was, you know, amidst these incredibly dangerous people and got the footage that he got. Yeah, that, and that reminds me a little bit of Terror, uh, you know, which is a film where the filmmakers were granted access to be with an FBI sting operation where they were trying to... Um, uh, I was going to say catch terrorists. You know, if you watch the film, it may be more like they wanted to sort of create terrorists they could then take down. Um, but it's a very powerful insider look at something that you don't usually get to see the insider of. So, um, But at any rate, I, I, I interrupted you earlier when you were talking about how cartel and blew your mind. Um, if you wanted to just add anything to that or any other documentaries. Well, and, and a lot, in the same vein, Winter, Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom, was also amazing because it seemed that that filmmaker kind of happened to be there as as this uprising was unfolding um i think in 2013 and 14 and captured what started out as a peaceful kind of revolution and and became so aggressive and so scary over time and and you as a as an audience member feel embedded with them and are are a witness to history and what's going on so the the documentaries are so different you know from a a music documentary to, you know, the Mexican drug cartels to this revolution. Um, but they all do the same thing, which is to allow you as an audience member in to this sto- into this story. And that's what I love about documentaries. I love just selecting a documentary I don't know anything about, you know, the subject and, and the work that the filmmakers do to help you understand it all. And here I was talking about how inclusive and, uh, you know, uh, we were about documentaries because we really have the same similar feeling, love documentaries and Mm-hmm. Love giving them appreciation, but the um, you know Winter on Fire wasn't even included in our fourteen our list of fourteen nominees. Uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. So at any rate, uh, how about you, uh, Emily? In terms of in terms of your uh, documentary choice this year. Um, like? Well, I, I I've seen on our list uh, three of them, but I also saw the um, uh, the first movie, the the kind of the, the first one is the look of silence, um, which mm-hmm. I which I loved and was amazing and uh, difficult to watch. You know, really really hard to to watch. And I, I just saw a few minutes of the look of silence, which um, uh, which obviously shows how you know going from from one amazing um, depiction of that that story the the first time around to what the filmmaker learned the second time around. You know, just in the mm-hmm. um, uh, in in the in the craft itself and what a change that was which was i think you know interesting to to see you know because it became much more beautiful the the filmmaking and visually I think, and i think a film that we both liked on that along those lines is heart of a dog which is another film that that got um just you know sad it's sad how little attention that film got uh laurie anderson's exploration of death that you know, you talked about the events in Ukraine just happening to be there when, when the revolution happened. 
in her case, she was making a, a film about death, and her husband died in the middle of it, um, which definitely the film was not about wow. that specifically, but it really affected the you know the the narrative. And it's you know it's a sort of a very non-traditional kind of a film. You, it's hard to put it in documentary category or anything, but it's beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling about it too. Is that I'm not sure that it's a it's a documentary. You know, it was um it was a visual poem in a way. Mm-hmm. It was really so so poetic and um and it did get nominated uh, uh for, for other awards and, and I think won even, you know, in the documentary category. But um uh but in you know, maybe this was something also that we were thinking about, Will, when we created this, you know, uh um outstanding, you know, art house or, or alternative uh category. Yeah, and also the uh, experimental film or short film category. I think that's the thing about a film like Part of a Dog. It suffers from the fact that it's hard to identify what it is, so it's hard to sell it. Yeah. But it's a beautiful film. You should see it. Um, the uh, Just a quick shout-out uh, before we move on from the category, and that is um, the, the Russian Woodpecker is, is a movie that um, had a very sort of divisive kind of response. I think a lot of people really liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. Um, but I found it. I found it very interesting. It's a sort of a, you know, it's a documentary where the protagonist. You're not sure that, that he is sane or rational, but you can't take. You can't stop watching. You know what he's doing and what he's saying, and follow this narrative about his sort of Don Quixote uh, kind of a fight against the Russian government. Um, and so you know, it plays out very similarly also in the midst of the Ukraine revolution. So uh, mm. probably a mm-hmm. film that that uh, suffered a little bit from the attention that its fellow Ukrainian documentary got, but uh, right. definitely in- interesting to see. Anyway, great year for documentaries, and uh, if you haven't seen uh, enough of them this year, it's a good year to, to uh, stock up on <laughs> Netflix or iTunes or whatever yeah. you. Um, at any rate, uh, great, and um, I guess we should move on a little bit to uh, some of the uh, performances. I know those are major categories that a lot of people uh, have opinions about and like to talk about. Um, we uh, one thing unique thing we do with the ACs is we put all of the performances, um, regardless of gender, together in one category. And I mean, I speaking for myself, part of my motivation for doing that was uh, that I feel that it's a little bit belittling to have all these separate categories for fear that maybe you know people wouldn't women wouldn't get a chance. Uh, to square off against the men who are the real actors. You know, I feel like that was a sort of old-school Hollywood way of looking at it. And maybe from the standpoint of the Academy Awards, it's nice to have a lot of different acting categories because the public recognizes those people and they can, they can root for them and so on and so forth. But from our standpoint, I thought it would be interesting to put them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, what happened with our nominations is it, uh, it became split is that we've got uh, five women in there and one, two, and, and five, five men. It so happens that the five women, two of them are the same. So Kate Blanchett <laughs> was nominated for, uh, for two different roles. And uh, Alicia Vikander yeah. was nominated for two different roles as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the nominees are Abraham Atta from Beast of No Nation, uh, Kate Blanchett from Carol, also, Kate Blanchett in Truth, the film, the uh, Dan Rather film, uh, the film about the Dan Rather uh, experience. Uh, Steve Carell for The Big Short, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Brie Larson for Room, 
Jason Mitchell for Straight Outta Compton, who was an obvious uh, overlook, uh, a lot of, you know, very popular uh, choice for the most overlooked for an Academy Award nomination. Mm -hmm. uh, Will Smith, Concussion, Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl, and also Alicia Vikander for uh, Ex Machina, which is, a, you know, I, I think, like you said, it's pretty remarkable that they were split with men and women, despite the fact that two of the women are the same still, uh, a really interesting category, and I think, you know, handicapping it in terms of who will who will be the best choice in this category is pretty hard to say. Um, Tammy, got any thoughts? Well, as I told you, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see all of the films. I wish I had been able to, but um, um, I thought Brie Larson in Room was just incredible. I mean, what a like a performance she gave, and in in not a big film, you know. I mean, it was. I just thought it was really something. Can you imagine as a producer? You know, having a, a oh my god, a budget it's film dream somewhere. come true, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you get this performance out of somebody that somehow gets promoted into uh, an Oscar nomination. I think that's uh, got to be sort of like a surreal experience as a producer. Yeah, I would think though that the comfort of having that one location is offset by having so much of the film dependent upon a child actor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, speaking of child actors, um, we're, we're going to get to. Uh, her co-star in a minute because he's nominated for a different category. But, um, you know, um, Abraham Atta, who's the, the young boy uh, in Beast of No Nation, I, I, you know, from my standpoint, I always sort of feel like child actors get short shrift in the awards sometimes because there's, I, I think there's this underlying premise that they don't really know what they're doing acting-wise. They're not professionals in the same way that the older actors are. And therefore, if their performance, if you enjoyed the performance, it was just because they were natural and you, you liked watching them and so on. But, right. you know, from my standpoint, I, I think it's actually still a really gifted acting performance. The fact that it's more naturalistic or more based on, you know, the young person's personality or whatever, it's still, there's a lot of acting roles in the, for major actors who are, you know, trained and in Hollywood for 30 years, and the performance that they win for is still something that's very close to home for them and and not so uh, you know they just have to forget their uh, if they have to become uh, like a child when doing it you know <laughs> mm -hmm. to capture that innocence so at any rate um, Abraham Atta I'll just speak to it Emily I'll throw it to you in a second but Beast of No Nation is a gloriously beautifully depicted and brutally uh, sort of depressing uh, kind of a film. Uh, sorry, I've got to pause that a second because our recording is is messed up again. It's, it's because I'm not another call. You're so popular. Who knew? Hmm. I uh, can't help myself. Okay. <laughs> uh, Beast of No Nation is such a beautiful movie and so you know, brutally honest about the absurdity of war seen through this child's eyes. Uh, and, you know, you really do see it through his his face, his eyes, his vision, and I think so much of that is believable because of his performance. So that's why I, I couldn't just think of him as a, you know, he's a child actor, it doesn't really matter. When, when, you know, in thinking about the film, uh, I, I thought that he was really important, and I know that Idris Elba got a lot of attention for it, and rightly so, he's terrific, but uh, there's something about uh, Abraham Atta's uh, performance that's really something. Um, uh, also, you, I know, Emily, you like the, the movie Carol, and uh, you maybe enjoyed Kate Blanchett's performance. 
loved her performance. I mean, I think that it, what was what was so remarkable was the uh, about the whole film was the kind of space and and time that it that it created. It's like you saw the the and through her performance, you saw what was going on in her mind. You know, through one little muscle movement in in her face. You know, and the the way that it was captured and the way that she portrayed it. You know, really, you know, I thought was was touching and and real. You know, especially at a time when when things were so hidden. It was, you know, the the subtleties of of her of her thoughts that she, of course, didn't want to make obvious, you know, to the to the world um, about her sexual orientation and and her feelings and what she could say and she couldn't say. And, and Wait, that, spoiler alert! Spoiler oh, alert! I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's pretty obvious. Okay. <laughs> no, but but that that was. Uh, it was amazing her her performance in that. It's how how much she created that um, that kind of clue, that knowledge, without speaking, without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one movie, one movie and person that I I thought obviously uh, didn't get a lot of attention uh, for the Academy Awards, but that is a really powerful movie. I thought it was straight out of Compton and Jason Mitchell's performance as Eze. Um, the thing is, you know, of a, if you're of a certain generation, the film is probably a lot more meaningful to you. And I'm imagining that that the 70s and 80 year olds uh, probably didn't really even go to see straight out of Compton, let alone you know grasp the social significance of the times and of the band and so on and so forth. But you know, it's um, not only was the film important and really well put together. Uh, Unusually put, to, unusually well put together for a music film. Um, Jason Mitchell just, you know, it, it completely embodies the character he's playing. Really hard. You're playing a real life character, and you're playing one that half the people totally know this person uh, and can completely, you know, tear apart your performance because you're not like him. And the other half of people have no idea who this guy is and wonder right. why you're trying so hard to be like, you know, be like somebody that they don't know who he is. But I just felt like, uh, you know, the story told through Easy e uh, in Straight Outta Compton is really, you know, he's a vulnerable, almost, you know, innocent type person at the beginning, and to see the way that this process changes him and that it's, you know, it's the sort of disappointment of his success, for lack of a better way uh, of saying it, is really a, makes for a really powerful movie, and I, I, I thought it was really... Uh, really dissatisfied that he was not somehow rewarded for that with a, an award nomination, which is not it's not the be all end all in this world, but it, you know for for actors and their careers, uh, it's obviously a really big deal, and it also would get some more people to see the film. Um, mm-hmm. At any rate, just just a thought uh, from you maybe about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, um, not a movie that I have seen yet. I'm hoping to see it before voting closes for the ACs on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, the big movie and the big performance that people are talking about, what did you make of it? And it, re- and it really is. And I almost sort of was kind of like, uh, you know, it's this big movie, whatever, it's going to win everything. You know, I kind of almost had written it off, but when I saw it, I was just bowled over by it. I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's exquisite. It's everything you want it to be. I mean, the acting is phenomenal. The... I want to say the sets, of course they weren't sets, they were locations, but um, just 
everything about it was incredible. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio will finally win an Oscar for this role. I mean, he barely speaks in the movie, but he conveys such depth of emotion and such a range of emotion um, that I just feel like everybody involved with this film was working at the top of their game, despite the horrific conditions we hear about. Yeah, do you think, uh, Emily, that sometimes the actors are rewarded? I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a great performance. In, in fact, the fact that he you know, conveys a lot without dialogue, I think is a very underrated part of being an actor. But the question I was going to ask was, you know, do you think the actors are often noticed when they have a really difficult environment to be an actor in rather than for their performance. That's a danger. I mean, I think that it happens, you know, in the, in the arts in, in general, you know, uh, um, we saw a lot of performance art in the, in the seventies. I can, I can say, you know, with um, uh, Marina Bromovic's work and, and also Hannah Wilkie's work and, um, and, and others, you know, just, just to make their, their lives difficult, the things they endured, you know, became uh, became stunning in the in the first place. You know, Chris Burden was shot in the arm. You know, for a, a, a performance work that that he did in a in a gallery. But um, you know, it wasn't necessarily you know the the idea of a kind of long term artistic achievement in my mind is to is to go beyond that. You know, and what's the 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 meaning of the thing that's portrayed? You know, which is is lasting, not necessarily the the you know, participants' uh, endurance. I mean, I'm wary of that. You know, I mean, I think that, that you know, yeah, it's a, it's a tough job, you know, not that uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is not, you know, compensated well for, for his tough job. But my, my fear is that it becomes a, a trick, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of a, a trick for us all to say, you know, wow, that was, you know, that was hard to do and not like what is the thing, the, the cultural artifact expressing that should be the, the thing that's important, you know, mm-hmm. or, or in his, in his case, you know, the performance, you know, the, the artistic achievement, you know, rather than the, um, uh, just the endurance factor of it. Or right. It, it might, it might've really been better and more fair if we hadn't all heard the story of how, mm-hmm. how, you know, difficult it was to shoot it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, I'm sorry, just pause one second, guys. Um, I got to get Adrian into the call. Because uh, he's having trouble with his pin. Um, uh, yeah, he had the same problem. I don't know this is the first time I've ever heard this that people are having problems with getting their pins recognized. You know, Will, I think that I was putting in the caller ID as the pin, and then when you gave me the phone number, I remembered I was supposed to put the phone number in. I wonder if he's doing the same thing. Oh, okay. Totally worth pausing because we're only going to have him for a little time before he gets on the plane. Um, Tammy, this is the first time you're talking to him. Is that correct? You me? haven't met Adrian? Yes. No. Mm-mm. Oh, how fun! How fun for us. Um, <laughs> we need we need a we need somebody's got a landline phone number. Um, I do. You want you want my home number? Sure. Six one zero. Okay. Four zero eight. Nine three nine one. Now, I'm calling from that number, but I used your phone number. So That's right, you. exactly. Yeah, I used my mom's phone number because I know that, I know that it works. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah, I gave you my secret, uh, ultra-secret uh, call-in 
phone number or pin just in case. I am <laughs> keeping that forever now. I'm going to use that all the time. Well, and also, you know, you can you can call Will's mommy now and complain about right. it. Right. <laughs> I'm going to do that as soon as we hang up. Have I yeah. got some stories for her? Well, well, you know, my mom is is blind and more or less stuck in the house, so she's bored as can be. Any phone call oh. is a boost, <laughs> even if it's bad. Um, that's not working either. Let's see. Um, uh, here's another one. 610-521-0399. That's wait, my mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You got the number? Yeah. Um, I mean, another thing I could try to do is get him into this call. I bet I could do that. Hang on. Standing by. I will call you in. That's going to work. Okay, send. Uh, Add a call. Fortunately, not a live show. I do this. Right. (laughs) I do. I do some of these live. It's like we never would have been able to get it together so quick. works. <clears throat> there we go. Are you you hear me now, right? I can hear you. Yeah. Tammy, you got it? Yep, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, sorry uh, about that, Adrian. Didn't mean to make you uh, frustrated, but how are you? I'm good, man. Except this is Atlanta is the loudest airport I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too it's not too bad actually. You're you're a little quiet, but I don't hear the background too much, so I think we're okay. Okay. I'll try and speak uh, up a little bit. Though. Super duper. Okay, so we're just going to finish our thoughts on um, we just we've done documentaries and best performance in a major role, um, and then I'll introduce you as soon as I wrap this up. Okay. Sure. Just make sure we're still rolling, which we are. Okay. Um, well, I think I, we're pretty close to being done anyway. Uh, we've, I just said Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, is a really good-looking guy. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is. Um, do you, do you think Leo DiCaprio is kind of, I mean, to me, he's like reliving the career of Marlon Brando, but without the crazy. Hmm. Or maybe he is, you know, a little a little crazy in that works for him. I don't know. I don't know the guy. But at any rate, uh, that was going to be my final thought. Hey, before we move on to best performance in a supporting role, um, let's bring in our second special guest. Uh, he is a cinematographer uh, of the newly released uh, Night Owls, which is a comedy you can find on uh, iTunes and Netflix and so on and so forth. Uh, and he's also the cinematographer responsible for the very soon to be released Avis Possessions, which is uh, a, a dark comedy horror film that if, if you haven't uh, heard about it, you should. It's going to be outstanding and it is beautifully shot by this man. His name is Adrian Correa. He's with us. How are you, sir? 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a good day. <laughs> you're you're uh, calling us from the airport, right? So if we hear you uh, announce if you drop off suddenly, it might be that you had to run for your gate. Yeah, or Homeland Security is coming after you. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> good to hear talking about movies. Well, um, you're on the line with uh, with Emily Lutzker uh, and also with Tammy Sedman. So we have a sort of a we've now achieved. Uh, some uh, gender parody on the show <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about movies. There we so go. That's part of our goal with the AC is to try to make something uh, that is a little bit more representative of the public at large. So I don't know if you're representative of the public at large because, you know, you make movies, uh, but we like that. Um, so at any rate, though, although in the, in the Academy Awards, cinematographers only get to vote for uh, cinematography awards and for Best Picture, uh, here we're going to talk just for a, a couple of minutes about some of the performances, uh, you know, once again, for the ACs, we lump in men and women and people of all genders uh, in each category. This is best performance in a supporting role. Uh, I'm going to read the nominees and then we'll maybe throw it out to you for a, a take. Um, they are, the nominees are Idris Elba for Feast of No Nation, Christian Bale for The Big Short, uh, Louis C.K. for Trumbo, Benicio Del Toro for Sicario, Paul Giamatti for Straight Outta Compton, Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina, Rooney Mara uh, for Carol, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight, and Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. Uh, Adrian, I'll throw it to you. What's the acting performance in a supporting role that really stood out to you this year? Um, for me, uh, you know, like I, the the two that I mean, I mean, out of this list, I would say Tom Hardy is is the one for me. I, you know, I found that. You know, I know everyone talked about the cinematography of that film, and it is, you know, astoundingly well shot by Emmanuel Lebesky. But for me, like that performance, uh, Hardy's performance is really the anchor of that movie for me. You know, it speaks to uh, the cynical nature of of of, uh, of humanity in a way, and there's something really, really dark and terrifying about uh about him in that campfire scene when basically he says he tells a story about his his father finding God was to me. Acting wise, my favorite scene of the year. So uh, for me, it was that performance. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, terrific. Uh, Emily, how about you? No? <laughs> you shake your head at me. You like them all. Too hard, them all. To, too hard to call for you. No, you come on. I know that you actually uh, you like Rooney Mara's performance. I love Rooney Mara's performance. Yes. I, 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 I would say that I. I also liked uh, Paul Giamatti's performance in Straight Outta Compton. I thought that um, uh, he was re- realistically annoying. I really appreciated that. <laughs> and, 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 and also, and also, Christian Bale, you know, was was uh, really weird in The Big Short, and in a in a way that you know, if you if you know those those guys that are singularly minded like that, they they can be weird. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, uh, Tammy, I'll throw, I'll throw this to you. Uh, actually, before you before I go to your choice, the Paul Giamatti thing. Since Paul Giamatti was nominated for an Oscar, um, you know that that made headlines. Sort of, it's like, hey, the one white guy straight out of Compton uh, made headlines, and not to make overly light of it, because his performance is really good. Um, but you know, the, it's really sort of racially charged because you know he's like the white savior character in a movie with a, a, a mostly uh, black cast, people of color. So, you know, as, a, as somebody who actually votes in the official Academy Awards, do you put any thought to 
what you're supporting when you when you vote something, or is that way too deep? Sorry, I'm having a little trouble hearing you. What was the last part of the question? Oh, sorry. I was just saying that. Um, do you do you put do you uh, place any weight in your choices when you're actually voting for the Academy Awards on the message that you might send by voting, or do you strictly uh, keep all of that out and, and appreciate a performance regardless of any political aspects of it? Uh, gotcha. That's an interesting question, and I have try. I my mission is to try to choose the best performance um, for the actor because you can get you can get into so many different things. Like, oh, should I vote for this person because she's a woman? Or like when I was looking at the um, uh, the live action shorts, there was something by an AFI fellow, you know, should I support that person? And I just think you can't go there. I think you have to look at the performance, you know, the the performance that the, the actor gave in, in that movie and did they do their job and did they move you? And, and that should be, the, for me, the sole basis. Yeah, I get it. Well, on, on that basis, uh, who did you like in terms of uh, supporting your performances? I agree with Adrian. I think Tom Hardy was amazing in The Revenant. Uh, incredible, and then also yeah. I don't think he was on. I don't think he was on your list, but uh, was Jacob Tremblay from Room on that list? No, although um, uh, that moves us. We can we can actually move from there. I mean, by the way, I just wanted to say quickly before we move on, uh, Louis C.K. and Idris Elba for me uh, were, were the people that whose performances I really appreciate. But all of those choices uh, of the nominees were, were terrific. We have a category for the 80s best performance by a new or overlooked talent, and I think the idea was to try to fit some people in here that may not have uh, been as easy to categorize in one of the other categories, or, or just for somebody that's new and not that well-known, but whose performance is really worthy. Um, and that the nominees include Idris Elba, again, for Beast of No Nation, um, Abraham Adam for Beast of No Nation, uh, Domhnall Gleeson, ex national Michael B. Jordan for Creed, uh, Jason Mitchell, Daisy Ridley from Star Wars, Katana uh, Kiki Rodriguez from Tangerine, uh, Allison Side from uh, Mediterranean, Lily Tomlin from Grandma, Mae Whitman from The Duck, and Jacob Tremblay from Room, which leads me mm -hmm. to the segue of what you were talking about. You uh, appreciated his performance. I did. I mean, and you don't know, we can't tell how much of that was we can credit to the director, how much um, to the fact that Brie Larson was given time to meet with him and rehearse with him and, and develop a bond and trust. But I just think for somebody of that age, his performance was so nuanced. It, it was incredible. Yeah, getting us back to the child actors thing we talked about earlier. They're, they're some good actors. <laughs> the fact that they're young yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they're not actors. Right. Um, I was just going to say that um, I uh, I could just strictly from the, you know, some people are just mesmerizing to watch on screen. Alephant um, C. from uh, Mediterranean is an African actor who is, just a beautiful person to look at on screen and a very captivating person to watch. Um, so he's somebody that I always enjoy. Uh, Adrian, I know that you saw Creed. What did you make of Michael B. Jordan, who's always a wonderful performer as well? I mean, you know, he's he's a fantastic actor. I think his uh, I think he's really gifted as a performer, but I also think he's a type of person who has the type of movie star charisma who can carry him into like the type of person who is like like the perfect symbiosis between like movie star and a really good actor. You know, like I think he if he start keeps getting the roles like he did in Creed, he could really transition into 
like even a, like a like a higher level Will Smith in terms of uh, his stature in the industry. I think he's a wonderful performer. I uh, I um, I actually I'm, I was really amazed at that movie because uh, it has so much cinematic baggage with it. And uh, to me, that was and you're talking about overlooked. I mean, for directing, I think that's one of the most overlooked directing jobs of the year. I mean, it really is amazing that Ryan Coogler was able to overcome all that cinematic baggage and use something that basically has a structure that's very similar to the first film. I still feel really, really new, nuanced, and from an acting perspective, I mean, I don't think I've seen, Stallone hasn't been that good in, I don't even know when. I mean, I thought he was fantastic in that film. So um, all all kudos to Ryan Coogler. I think he's a major, major talent. Yeah, and he's a, for those of you who don't know, the director of Fruitvale Station, which if you didn't see it, um, is another one really worth seeing. Um, terrific film about a really important uh, subject as well. Um, at any rate, glad to hear that you enjoyed that. Um, while we have you, let's talk a little bit about um, the AC's cinema, uh, Cinematic or Cinematography Awards. We separated into two categories. The first one is Excellence in Cinematic Beauty, uh, the second in Technical Achievement. Um, you know, just with the thinking of a lot of times the technical achievement part of it is rewarded at the expense of maybe something that isn't, you know, that wasn't the most challenging, but yet uh, it has a look and a, and a visual beauty to it that really should be appreciated. Um, I'll start with you, Adrian. In terms of cinematic beauty, what did you see this year that uh, impressed you? Um, I mean, I think if, when you, I think The Revenant is really, I mean, that's an astoundingly well shot movie. I think, I, I don't know how much I believe all of the natural light elements because some of it just looked too, I mean, either if, maybe not, not completely, even if it was natural light, like heavily manipulated in post, you know, so I mean, but just from a, from a scope standpoint, I mean, that's a movie that usually doesn't get made anymore. You know, it's, it's brutal and intimate and, and, and massive in terms of the scope at the same time. I think that's a beautiful movie. Carol is astoundingly well photographed and I love the fact that, that the Super 16 format was used by Ed Lockman and, and, and Todd Haynes. I think that's a beautifully shot movie. Um, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I've always been a huge fan, but I think uh, Maddie Lebatique's work in Spike Lee Chirac was like a callback to kind of the classic Ernest Dickerson era kind of photography. Spike Lee's films are something like uh, uh, Malik Saeed when he shot clockers for him. I, I think that's a really great return to form in terms of like – perfect symbiosis between directorial vision and like, and a really kind of like standout call attention to itself photography in a really positive stylistic way. I didn't feel it was gratuitous at all. Sometimes uh, single camera movement, like, you know, like single uh, long takes and that kind of stuff can feel uh, to me almost uh, not, not, not show offy, but I just, I don't understand that the, the, the choices sometimes, like sometimes, choices are made just to be long takes because they can be long takes as opposed to using the long take to actually tell a story. And, um, you know, it's, I, I, I think, you know, something like Carol that has a really languid pace, but for like a really specific kind of reasoning, I, I thought that was really beautifully told you know, visually. So, and Sicario, I thought Sicario was another film that really used the camera in an in a interesting and, and intelligent storytelling way. Yes, uh, Roger Deakins, uh, the cinematographer for Sicario, he's, in this movie, I think he really inserts himself into the story, you know, so you you're always feel like you're in the middle of what's going on rather than an observer from far away, which I, for that kind of story, is a pretty good way of story. Yeah, the, 
yeah, the use of perspective with the camera in that movie is really, really impressive from a storytelling standpoint. It's, 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 there's some real, there's some, even from the first shot, I just, I love how, like, the, the Villeneuve and, and Deacons use the camera to kind of, like, set the stage for, like, one, one kind of specific moment of action and then expand the camera to turn into, like, these really inter- intricate, interesting portraits that become, like, wide masters. Uh, uh, transitionally, it's really, really beautiful cinematographically. So I, I really like that film as well. I don't know if it'll win this year. I think Le- the Lebesgue train may be, uh, <laughs> may be too strong. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like yeah, it's going to carry things through um, for sure. Um, Tammy, any thoughts for you before we move on to technical? Well, as a producer, I will always defer to a DP uh, on these on these opinions. But I happen to agree. I think you know, at opposite ends of the spectrum, The Revenant and Carol, two very different films, both beautiful in their own way. And I did not see The Hateful Eight, but I did see clips from it. And I think Bob Richardson's work is always incredible. And I, the scenes that I saw looked amazing. Yeah, he's always amazing. And also, one 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 further point: I actually thought that The Revenant was actually a better use of the long take than in Birdman. For myself, I thought I thought the, the, the long take worked better in Revenant conceptually than it did in Birdman. But that's it. That's it. Sorry. Interesting. Yeah. Um, for this for the same uh, artists working together. Um, yeah. I was going to say, uh, the, the, as Tammy, as a producer, you always defer to the DP, except for when he wants to spend money to get right. shot. <laughs> that goes without saying. That is the nature of our relationship, yes. Right. <laughs> Mo- <laughs> moving, uh, moving on to technical achievement in, in, the, in the cinematography, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, re- Mad Max is probably going to be a, a runaway winner in this category um, just because of what they had to go through to, to shoot these, you know, complicated live action sequences the way they wanted to do them. Um, and I, I don't think it'll get a lot of love, but I, and you guys mentioned, uh, you know, Richardson's work with The Hateful Eight, uh, you know, to, bringing back the, um, you know, Super Panavision. Uh, it just, it's so perfect for that setting and for that movie. And, you know, it was even overlooked from our standpoint. Our, our, nomin- our nominators put that in beauty, but I always feel like that's a sort of a technical achievement to dig through old gear and find something that fits what you're trying to work with. Um, Adrian, I know you're somebody that, that likes to pick specific gear and lenses for what you're working on. It's not always the best and the newest and the brightest. Now for me, that, that's, that's the movie, cinematographically, for the year. Um, I think storytelling, I think Revenant might be like a, a better example, but for the sheer audacity of, of the photography in that film, like it's amazing. And I also think John Seale really doesn't get as much credit in terms of being an influential cinematographer. Um, you know, as I understand it, he was retired, and, and 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 George Miller brought him out of retirement. And it really is like, and it like that. That's a when you just look at the. I mean, even the how many times in that movie are there shots that last a second and a half? And in that second and a half, you see just this massive scale of production. Mm-hmm. I like just the, the nature of what they captured is. I mean, and it has wonderful scope, and it. I just, you know, and for a film that doesn't have a ton of dialogue, the camera tells uh, an immense amount of part of that story. It's almost like, it's almost like the the the, 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 the kinetic action brother of the Revenant, except in terms of like these long language takes, you have these propulsive and dynamic frames that pop up, you know, dozens of shots within within short short periods of time, and and to me like that's an uh, 
it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, even just watching it. And, it's, and another thing that's it's, it's clear for me is that if you see Mad Max in a theater, it is a huge experience. Like, it, 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 it's barely held by the screen. And it's funny because I saw that movie in 4DX, which is basically like an mm. amusement, amusement ride in Bulgaria. In, in Bulgaria. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was is that I, I, I got out of this, basically this roller coaster chair at the end of it, and I was like, that movie, if there ever was a movie that does not need 4DX, it's Mad right. Max Fury Road because it's directed in the frame like 4DX. I mean, it's just it's astounding photographically. I mean, it's 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 and and every one of those frames is almost like a photography. It just looks like almost like comic book photography in in a positive way. I just I thought it was a gorgeous movie and it was great to see a woman at the at the head of a franchise. I mean, Curiosa is just so wonderfully done. I mean, she's as as, as much of a dominating presence as, as Mel Gibson was in the in the Road Warrior. And that's saying a lot because it's, I, I thought she was magnificent in that film. Well, uh, terrific. Well, look, um, you know, I know we have you only for a limited time, so we're going to move on to uh, uh, the excellence in direction uh, category for the best director. Um, I, I'll tell you what the nominees are for the ACs. Um, you know, this is one of those categories where there's, there's two major issues with it. One is it's so hard to know with films when you're seeing the power of direction or when you're seeing the power of what the producers did to get the movie made or when you're seeing the power of great acting or great script. But with all that, you know, we, we, we do the best we can to try to figure it out. That's the first problem. second problem is um, there's so few women directing films, uh, and, and I mean getting the opportunities to direct films, especially for the movies that a lot of people have seen. It's really hard to, to have... Uh, you know, women involved in this category uh, in some way that's, you know, better than a token experience. But the, I'll tell you what the nominees that we have. We, we do have a woman in there, fortunately for us, or else we'd look bad. Our uh, best director uh, category is uh, Kerry Fuganaga for Beast of No Nation, Adam McKay for The Big Short, Todd Haynes for Carol, Ryan Coogler for Creed, Alex Garland in his debut for Ex Machina, Quentin Tarantino for Hateful Eight, George Miller for Mad Max, Fury Road, uh, Denise gomez Uriwen for Mustang, uh, Alejandro Inuratsu for The Revenant, I'm sorry if I butchered your name, buddy, uh, Sakura, Denise Villanueva, and uh, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. Um, Tammy, I'll throw this to you. What was your take for Best Director of um, Alejandro, I think. I, I was... Uh, and I mean, that was sort of my natural place that I was going to go to. But I think also um, George Miller, I think, just did an amazing job. So, I mean, you can't – everything that, that Adrian just said, what he was able to accomplish, both technically and and from a place of story, is, you know, you can't deny that. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, in Revenant, um, you know, they – he he went all around the globe searching for the right location, you know, mm-hmm. in the most ridiculous places and was so driven to get this certain vision. And George Miller for Mad Max is so, you know, it was like a technical achievement in directing just from the standpoint of trying to organize right. uh, the, the shoot to get what he wanted. But uh, Adrian, I mean, you could you could vote for somebody based on the diff- degree of difficulty or you might vote for them based on, you know, the subtlety. Uh, what did you like this year? I mean, um, for different reasons, I think, but in the same kind of, it's, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing. I really loved 
Villeneuve's directing and, and Sicario. Sicario is really, I think the handling of perspective in that movie is, is expertly done about as well as you could possibly do it, quite frankly. And and then in Yuritu, I thought the esoterica that was kind of like, to me, a, a little all over the place in Birdman found a kind of pinpoint focus in The Revenant. I think The Revenant is, is a much better directing film. I, I actually really, really enjoyed it. And then and then, and Miller, just for the, the sheer scope of that film. I mean, that's, I mean, it literally is like a throwback. It feels completely modern to me in one sense. And then it feels like if David Lean was around and was inclined to this material, like it almost feels like it has that kind of sense of cinematic scope unlike anything I've seen. And, and it all felt real and practical and, and tactile. On, in, the, in, in camera and what I saw on the screen. And that, to me, was I think that threw it back to, like, classic, massive Cecil B. DeMille kind of cinema, which the tactile feeling of, like, everything in that picture feels like it's happening for real. And that's, a, and that's no small achievement. That's a really huge risk, one, just in terms of the, just risking all of it to try and create that size of a movie. And it just, it, I, I love that feeling. It took me back to when I saw... Raiders of the Lost Ark in the, in, in, the, in the theater as a young boy. Like, that, Mad Max actually really, really did that. And someone hasn't done that to me in a movie theater directorially in a really, really long time. It's just, it's, 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 an, it's an astounding achievement. So, so me, Weldon, Le- Lenny Abramson is not on that list for Room. Is that right? That's correct. That's amazing. I, I thought... Like with such a small scale of a movie, I thought what he was able to pull out of that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. The more the more people you put on the list, the more omissions that you have to notice. Um, sure. Yeah. I think uh, Adrian maybe just hit the fire alarm. Correct. <laughs> Where he is. <laughs> Atlanta Airport is on is on fire. Now the uh, <laughs> I'm going to be slowly moving away from this door. Okay. So I apologize. No, no worries. You can um, maybe just uh, cover your uh, mic there for a second, or I'm going to throw this to Emily anyway. Um, Go ahead. Best director, you've got an idea, I'm sure. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm the the one that of of the group here that hasn't really worked in film. I've sort of dabbled in uh, smaller productions and corporate productions and and whatnot. So what I'm somehow partial to the to the sort of even though these are mostly larger budget films, I'm sort of partial to the smaller films where I really see the director's hand in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's my own um, uh, sort of inexperience of being involved in such large productions. But you know something like Todd Haynes, in, you know his his work in Carol. Like I I I, he, I hear his voice in that film. You know which to me is is, you know, kind of beautiful and stunning and moving. And I, I think he's somebody who hasn't been recognized for a, um, uh, for a wonderful career of, of his work, you know, of, of, his, of his artwork, you know, through that time, you know, which, which that, that to me is really stand out. You know, besides the, um, the big short was interesting, uh, especially that it's a comedy director, you know, who moved into this realm, and I thought that the way that the, the storytelling was, was put together, you know, by, in that, that kind of pace of it, and the, you know, um, that, that, that it really held my attention, I'm, I'm sure it was 
you know, a, a group effort, but really it, it felt like it had a specific voice to it, as, as well as a piece of donation, you know, was, was specific to that to that voice of the director, in my opinion. And you can tell that he devoted, you know, six or seven years of his life to developing that idea comes across. Um, so I just have two, uh, two more categories to try to hit with you guys before we uh, have to wrap it up. The first is uh, the outstanding film for Art House or Limited Release. So these are some of the films we were talking about a second ago that are a little less, uh, you know, recognized and unlikely to you know, be in the running for the big award um, just because they didn't have the widespread release, so a lot of people didn't get to see them. Um, we, we mentioned a few of these, uh, you know, uh, Carol, Heart of the Dog, um, Mustang, but uh, also included in here would be uh, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, Spring, Taxi Tehran, uh, Mustang, Mend, uh, See You in My Dreams, and Diary of a Teenage Girl. Uh, any thoughts on this, Tammy, in terms of these uh, lesser seen films? I have not seen a lot of those films, I must admit. And, and obviously, you know, with my time constraints, if I'm not seeing a lot of the bigger films, it's harder for me to see some of the smaller films. So I'm going to have to defer to somebody else on this one. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'll, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'll make you look good. I'll toss this to you and your crying baby. <laughs> that's not me. No, no, sorry, no, sorry. It's, it's an airport, man. I can't do it. <laughs> Wait, are, you, are you asking me? Are you asking yeah, the, um, the terms of these the art house and limited release films. Okay. Um, I mean, this is, I apologize this is not a nominee, but I think Chirac is a great return to form for Spike Lee, so I'm just going to leave that out there. But if there was one film that really was, that kind of beat me up was Mustang. I thought Mustang was like a really profound and kind of shattering experience. And I thought it was gorgeous, incredibly well acted, and it was a kind of a perspective that I really didn't get to see too much this year in the the cinema. So if I had to pick one film that I wish people would, besides Night Owls, that people would go out and uh, find, find, I would say, Mustang is, is a really, really, really worthy piece of cinema. I think it's, I think it's incredibly well acted, and the director got astounding performances across the board. The photography is gorgeous, and just the storytelling is really, really moving. So I would say if you can catch Mustang, that's a movie that definitely deserves to be seen by more people. Yeah, I think that's a fabulous. I'm glad that that um, somebody had uh, somebody else had kind words for Mustang. It just feels like a movie that. It's going to take about five or six years to move into the consciousness of uh, the movie going public, but then it will eventually get there. Because it's a, you know, beautiful story. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, let's, let's move on to our top category. This is the uh, you know top prize for film in our case, the Artistic Achievement and Film Award for the ACs. Uh, I'll read you the I'll read you the nominees. Um, really tough choice. There's a lot of great choices. Uh, advantageous. Uh, Beast of No Nation. The Big Short, Carol, The Hateful Eight, The Revenant, Sicario, Sounds My Brother Taught Me, Spotlight, Star Wars Episode uh, 7, The Force Awakens, Tangerine, Mustang, and The Russian Woodpecker. Um, let, me, let me just say one. We haven't really talked about Star Wars at all. I just want to say that just because a film is really entertaining, not necessarily that deep of an achievement, um, it just was, I mean, I, I thought considering that you talked, uh, Adrian, about the baggage that the Rocky franchise created for Creed, you know, there's a lot of baggage for Star Wars. I thought it was a really 
enjoyable and inventive uh, way to carry on the franchise and revive it really from its, its dead places. So I just want to say a kind word for Star Wars. Just because it was popular doesn't mean it was bad. Um, right. Adrian, I'll, I'll toss this to you. What's your uh, What's your take? Um, I sorry. I'm going to keep. I'm continually moving towards the back of the line because I keep getting too close to the gate. Um, I would. I, I mean, for, it's hard for me. I, I would. I think back to. I, I don't know. I still think Mad Max Fury Road for me, but um, is that? I apologize. Is that a nominee? No. Hey, believe it or not, it with not all those nominees, it was not did not make the cutoff. Yeah. That's see, funny. see, oh. see this. No, no, but you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, a couple of the films that really, out of those, I would say the one that stuck with me was probably Sicario. I'd probably say Sicario is the one that stuck with me. Um, I just, you know, I. I didn't connect fully with Carol, although I thought it was a, a really, really good film. I think it's something I need to see again to really connect with. But Sicario kind of hit me. This wonderful kind of mix between kind of like modern noir, kind of intrigue, had a bit of a had a bit of a kind of like double cross element to it, and it was a really beautifully, artfully shot, very suspenseful and fascinating performances. Incredible sound design. My favorite score of the year. Um, Carol had a great score, too. But I, I, I would say I've watched Sicario once in the theater, and I've watched it twice more since then. And, and, and it gets, becomes a deeper and richer experience in terms of the mechanics between the characters as I watch it more. So I'll, I'll say Sicario. Great. Okay, uh, Emily? Oh, I didn't formulate a thought yet about it. Um, <laughs> I, well, well, Adrian, you make me want to go see Sicario. I better, I better watch it before Sunday. Uh, the way that you, you talk about it, you know, and also uh, I'm inspired to see Mustang as, as well. You know, on that list. Um, Shattering. You know, okay, I, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to be shattered. Yeah, I, I can't right. wait to be shattered. I am, I am. You know, I, I was really happy to see the the nominations in, in general, and that there were films in this you know highest um, uh, kind of uh, the the top prize category like uh, Tangerine. You know, even though I I wouldn't put it at, you know out of these, I wouldn't have it as as my favorite. But I was really happy to see that it was in there, and the the Russian Woodpecker um, as, as well. One of the things that we try to do with the ACs is is also not not limit these things to um, uh, to, to narrative film, uh, as well as um, not limit them to American films. I know that uh, um, that we have a, a nomination for Cinematic Beauty is uh, The Assassin um, and some other ones in there that also are, are a bit mixed in. Yeah, I'll say Sen. It's great movie. Um, so, uh, Tammy, your thoughts. By the way, I'm sorry, let me pause for a second before I flip it to Tammy. Uh, Adrian, whenever you need to go is, is fine. I, I'm just going to say thank you to you later, um, unless you wanted to add anything else. Um, oh, also, um, I, I am, uh, yeah, I'm actually about to head into the gate. I would say I think there is going to be a title change for women in the industry, and uh, I think you're going to see more and more women stop taking, stop waiting and taking the reins. Like, uh, one of the things I would say for just cinematic achievement this year is the work Reed Morano did on, on Meadowlands, you know, shoot, developing the script, directing it, and shooting it herself 
And, you know, it's like I think that's going to become more and more the norm, women behind the camera and women taking control of, of, uh, of producing content. i got to take off, guys. I'm sorry. Take care. No, it's quite all right. Thank you so much, Adrian. Adrian Carino. Bye. Bye, guys. Have a good flight. <laughs> Thank you. Safe, safe travels. Uh, so, uh, Tammy, uh, I'll, I'll throw this to you in terms of the, the top prize for artistic achievement in film. Um, it's, it's a tough call. What did you like? It is a tough call. I think this is always the hardest category because it's comparing apples and oranges. And, and it's like, how do you compare like a tiny little movie with The Revenant? And as I said earlier, I almost wrote The Revenant off because I just thought it would be like the big film, the obvious choice. But having seen it, I was surprised and moved and awed. And so that is my, that's for sure my choice. Well, there you go. There you have it. Um, I have a very, very tough call for me, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reserving the right to change my vote because I haven't seen, um, in particular, Sicario. I mean, excuse me, uh, because I haven't seen The Revenant. I hope to see it uh, this weekend before I have to vote. Um, but I'm inclined to say Beasts of No Nation. Um, the scope of it, and I mean, to me subject matter of, of the absurdity of war. You know, if you see a film like Apocalypse Now, you know, when it first, when Apocalypse Now was in the theaters, it was popular and people saw it, but it took on a deeper meaning as time went on uh, as a representation of the absurdity of the war uh, in, in Vietnam. And, you know, I think now people look back on it as being a really classic film. And I, I think Peace of No Nation has a chance to be that kind of a film because it's very, it's very moving in that, in a similar way, and maybe illustrates even more not, not just that war is absurd, but on a, you know, on a small level, you have, you have kids killing each other for things that they don't know about, understand that they're not even prepared to deal with, um, and from that standpoint, it's, a, it's a really brutal reminder that that goes on in the world every day, mm-hmm. uh, someplace. And so when you, you know, that's the power of film to raise an issue in your consciousness that you maybe know exists, but didn't necessarily really fully appreciate it in the same way. Um, so from that standpoint, I think that's my vote. Um, got anything to add, Emily, before we uh, send our listeners on their way? Well, you know, Will, perhaps uh, another, um, another podcast that we do that we can talk specifically about sound in film. I know we've got uh, three or four sound categories here in the ACs, and uh, and often sound is overlooked um, uh, or overheard, no, or underheard, or underlooked, or, or something, and it, something like that. And, and so, it's so important, so important. So I, I don't know, uh, Tammy, if you'd love to be a part of that conversation, we would love to have you. <laughs> sure, and I'll even commit to watching the films before we have the podcast. <laughs> even better, yeah. Well, um, I, I hear what you're saying about the sound <laughs> of the film. Um, as we like to say in the sound business uh, in film, that you know, the sound is half the film. So mm-hmm. we deserve half the pay and half the credit. <laughs> More or less it. <laughs> At any rate, um, I just, uh, Tammy, anything you'd like to add about um, the idea Adrian just, uh, you know, had, had to say about the diversity uh, in, in the filmmaking? Because obviously this is a big issue that spurred the ACES Awards in, in, in specific and the talk about the Oscars in general. Um, what's your take on that? How, how do we make that better? 
I think everybody has to do their part. And it's funny, I was interviewed by a newspaper recently um, as an Oscar voter. You know, what were my thoughts about the Oscar So White controversy and all that? And I really gave it a lot of thought. And and sort of towards the end of the interview, I realized, I said, you know what? Me, I'm a producer. Like, I think I need to be more responsible. If I want to see certain things on the screen, if I want to give certain people um, opportunities, I need to do that. I need to be more aware of that kind of thing. And I think that, um, you know, Hollywood, I mean, I think somebody said the other day that he, who was it? It was Russell Simmons said he couldn't think of all the people that he's met in the industry of one African-American who was capable of greenlighting a film. So I think Hollywood has a lot of work to do in terms of who they put in place, studio executives, producers on the lot who are in a position to start greenlighting uh, films so that then there's a trickle and we'll, we'll start to see stories that are more diverse, at which then you, you, know, you can cast actors who are more diverse in them. So I think we all need to keep this you know, in the forefront of our minds and, and do all that we can to try to make opportunities for everybody. Yeah, that's very well said. I, I also think from the consumer standpoint that supporting the hell out of those films, out of, out of more interesting right. films, not, not just films that are uh, you know, racially and, and gender diverse, which is really extremely important, but even just films that are outside of the mainstream tentpole comic book movies, you know, if we, if we want to have more films like that and we want to see more interesting stories from different people, then we need to support the hell out of them. You know, we need to, to make sure that we support a culture where we don't necessarily steal those films and we don't mm-hmm. um, wait for someone to, you know, to, to share them with us, uh, but that we are really proactive about seeing them when they're in the theater. And, um, you know, I know we really made a point this year to try to go see movies in theaters that were just art house films or maybe films that weren't going to get a wide release, but with the idea being, you know, we need to prove that these movies have some viability to them right. um, outside of Netflix, no, you know, nothing against Netflix, but outside of that realm so that filmmakers can be rewarded and so that investors can be rewarded enough to think, wow, like that, there was absolutely. a lot of to that movie. Let's make more like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that this deserves a, deserves a whole larger discussion as, as well. You know, um, I do feel like I put my cultural theorist hat on here for, for a second. I, I feel like that there's a, a, a crisis in the film industry, you know, going back to what you said earlier, Tammy, that, um, that you know, when you go to see a movie, it's expensive. So, right. so you know, how can we make it a, a thing to do for those, those smaller movies because it's important that everybody sees them, not just the not just the you know people that you know go see one movie you know every six months when they can mm-hmm. afford you know not just the ticket but a babysitter you know and uh, and dinner and make it a whole date night you know that it's a hundred dollar um, uh, proposition right you know, and not not necessarily have to just watch them at home. Something that I noticed uh, is that there are a couple of nonprofit uh, cinemas around, uh, like the Film Forum in New York and the O Cinemas in Miami, uh, among among others. And what what makes that so interesting is, you know, I wonder what the, you know, what do they get back in terms of ticket sales versus other ways that they make money? You know, if if the tickets were were less money, would lots of people go to see them? I just an idea, right. you know, of of you know how to make that kind of um, sort of of movie going as a as 
something that has cultural importance, how to make it accessible for right. everyone. Right. Well, that's a pretty good note. Uh, go out and support your local art house theater. Support your independent films and and uh, the art house movies and and uh, diverse stories. If you want more diverse storytelling and more awards for those people, go out and support them. And Tammy, you hire them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, once again, uh, uh, Tammy, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank tell you. Us, give, us a plug for your, give us a plug for your current movie, Slow Learners. Tell us how to locate that if you want to watch it. It's a, a nominee for the best comedy film. So it's no, a, best costume. Yes, best oh, costume. Both. Both. Yeah. Nominee for, nominee for the best comedy film and for best costume. Uh, tell us about where we can find it. That's great. Right now, well, it had a theatrical run, and right now it's available on cable on demand and Netflix and iTunes, and I believe also Amazon. There you go. Yeah, uh, check Tammy it out. Tammy Steadman, thank you very much for being our guest. On behalf of, uh, of Tammy and also Adrian Correa, who joined us, uh, and Emily Lusker next to me. This and Will is... Matisse, who's right next to yeah. me. <laughs> this is the uh, AC's Artist Choice Awards. Thank you for joining us. Uh, voting concludes uh, right about the time the Oscars telecast kicks off on, on Sunday night. Uh, the, what is that? The, February 27th. Sunday night, February 27th. Uh, is the end of voting, and then we're going to announce our awards a week from that. So just in uh, two weeks from now, we will be having our first ACES awards. Uh, I hope that you will check it out. On, oh, sorry. <clears throat> You can find us at uh, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash theaces, T-H-E-A-C-E-Y-S. And you can also find us on Twitter at theaces. Thank you very much for being with us, and go see some movies. If your main vocation is in an artistic discipline, you can become a voting member on the ACES group page at facebook.com slash group slash theaces. And I think that's it. Tammy, you are All right. Us. Good job, guys. Thank, hey, we wouldn't have done it without you. See, you, did, you sounded fine, except for that one time I asked you about movies that you didn't want to talk about. <laughs> movies that I hadn't seen a single one, that, that category. Um, yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed hearing Adrian. I want to meet him. He's such an interesting, um, intelligent uh, guy who's very well-versed in, in film. He's very thoughtful about the whole process, as are you. Well, I could be more thoughtful if I were more immersed in it. You know what I mean? It's really hard when you haven't seen a lot of the films to, to be able to put together th thoughtful opinions because yeah. you can't really contrast and compare. Um, but, you know, it's funny. He and he, we, you and Adrian and I all have the common denominator of having worked with Adam Paley. <laughs> I know. I almost, I almost brought it up, uh, but I was just like, I wasn't sure that good things would be said. So <laughs> right. Good <laughs> thinking. That's where it was. Good. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I mean, have you seen Night Out? I have not, but I have read a review of it, and it sounds like it's uh, getting. I mean, it's getting great reviews, so I'd love to see it. Yeah, I just saw. Uh, I've seen. I think I saw a scene and uh, uh -huh. a couple different trailers or something, but uh, you know, it's just another Adam. I mean, it's, you know. Well, it's interesting because Adam. <laughs> do you remember? I don't know if you saw it. Adam was showing you know, kind of roughly edited scenes on his phone when we were on set. <coughs> Excuse me, when we were on set. <laughs> and I remember yeah, looking at it thinking, thinking this doesn't look so great, you know. But yeah. I've heard 
I mean, he raved about, I think her name is Rosa Salazar. He raved about her as uh, a co-star. Really enjoyed working with her. I thought he, she was super bright and funny and quick and, and had a, like a dark. Uh-oh, I lost you for a second. Did you, are you still there? Oh, she might, we might have lost her. Huh? I'll call her back. Okay.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.